This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, October 23, 2016. The speaker is Jeff Phillips. More information can be found about Jeff Phillips at imweb.org. More information about Restoration Road Church can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. It's a great opportunity to be here for the first time, uh, sharing with this church. We had a, a wonderful time at the first service, and I'd, I want to encourage you to enter into a story, enter into an orchestration today. We're going to be talking about how God orchestrates things in our lives and how this orchestration will continue on in th- through your lives. And I hope, hopefully, you'll identify with some of God's orchestration and what we're sharing about. I'd like to start with Philippians 1.6. You're going to be hearing music throughout the service, okay? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When I look at this verses, I interpret it a little bit differently This good work, to me, comes across as sheet music, a giant scroll of music that God is orchestrating in our lives. This might be because all of our children, all four of our children, are musicians. And they get inspired at the most ungodly hours of night. Like 3 o'clock in the morning, you'll hear the piano, you'll hear the guitars. But it seems to all come together. Uh, but as a result of this verse, I just, I just look at this, this verse as the scroll and orchestration of God in our lives. And for many of us, it's not, not always a beautiful orchestration. I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up with two alcoholic parents. I grew up with anger and fighting. I grew up with fear. I feared for my parents' lives at many times. And so there were many, many dark notes in my life, which I didn't understand in this, in this orchestration. I had two older brothers that were 8 and 12 years older than I. So when I was 6 years old, my oldest brother turned 18 and he left. And in the case of my other brother, he was 8 years older than me. And he just saw how much I suffered. So he would, he would take me on the weekends to the mini market where he worked and share his salary with me. He'd take me to the libraries uh, at night so we'd get home after the fights many times. I mean, this was such a brother. I'm eight years younger than him. He would take me out on his dates sometimes. I mean, there's a brother, right? <clears throat> he almost walked on water, I think, you know. Just not a lot of brothers are willing to do that. But he went into the military service. He went into the Coast Guard when when I was 12 years old. And my world fell apart. My support system fell apart. And I just started doing drugs to deal with the pain. You know, it happens in those days. I'm 12 years old, and, and you just start smoking weed just to kill the pain. Unfortunately, it rarely stays just with that. People started introducing you to stronger painkillers. 
and you find even stronger, and it just numbs you enough to not have to deal with everything that's going on in your lives. Well, when I was about 16, I was at a party, and I met somebody who was shooting up heroin. And he said, hey, how about if we shoot up next weekend? And he was like walking death. I can still remember this guy. His veins were destroyed. And the, the amazing thing is, I, I looked at him, and I go, well, if I'm going to end up like my parents, I really don't care if I die. And so I said yes. But how God orchestrates things in our lives, my grandmother shows up out of the blue uh, during that week, and she goes, Jeff, next weekend is Mother's Day, and you never, ever give me a present, you dog. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, flowers, chocolates, and I look at her and I go, whatever you want, Grandma. And she gets this grandma smile, you know. And she goes, I want you to go to church with me. And I go, oh, no. I have been set up by my grandmother, this sweet lady. And now I am such trouble because I'm going to walk into that church and God is going to kill me. I mean, that's what I thought. I said, one toe in there. It's going to be a lightning bolt and I am dust. And what in the world am I going to do? But as the, as the week went on and it got closer, I, I was going, I've I, I got to make a decision here. I've got to make a decision. So I go, here are, my, here are my decisions. Or say, here are my choices. One, die of an overdose. Or two, be killed by God. So I put in the balance, you know, and I go, well, if God kills me, it's his fault. And he has to respond. So I'll go to church. So I walk into this little church in Portland, Oregon. And I pray that God never allows me to forget this. I saw the love of God for the first time in my life. And I did not know what to do. I just watched the whole service. And... I was pretty messed up. So I walk out of the church and I go, I'm coming back next Sunday and I'm going to catch them because everybody has to behave well on Mother's Day. So I'll come back and they'll be like me and I can write this off. Well, I come back the next Sunday and I go, hmm, these people are exactly the same. They behave well on non-Mother's Days as well. And then out of the blue, some of my grade school friends come up to me and say, Jeff, what are you, what are you doing here? And then I go, oh, I came with my grandmother, you know. And they go, ah, oh, you got to come on a Wednesday night to the youth meeting. Sundays aren't even cool. And I go, really? <laughs> and so I go, okay. So on Wednesday, I go, and it's in the basement of the youth pastor, and it's about this size, and there's about 100 kids in there. And, and I'm watching them, and I'm going, what planet are these people from? How can there be people so different than me? And so I go, I'm coming back. So I didn't miss any service for six weeks. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Bible studies, prayer night, everything. And I'm just, 
in shock. And then the youth pastor, and I want you to know my definition of a good youth pastor, he's always in trouble with the elders of the church, okay? <laughs> if you got one like that, you got a good youth pastor, okay? And so he had this like Christian Woodstock in this park where I used to be loaded all the time. And I'm leaning against the tree, and I'm just still in shock after six weeks. And one of the sponsors that's an ex-druggie comes up to me. Ex-druggies pick out the druggies, you know. So I'm watching today, too, okay, just so you know. I'm making a little list for the pastor, okay? So careful. But he comes up to me, he goes, Jeff, what do you think? And I go, I, I'm amazed, but I don't get this. And he goes, Jeff, it's pretty easy. These kids have Jesus, and you don't. And I knew it was true. And it was quite painful. But in that park where I used to destroy my life with drugs, I invited Jesus into my heart. And he said, you need to be baptized. And I said, let's go. I'd seen some in the six weeks. Let's go. I'm ready. So we go walking out of the, out of the park, and a police car comes tearing down the street and stops right in front of me, and I just I freeze. And they jump out and run by me, luckily. And they run into this house, and everything just goes into slow motion. I just watch this, and I'm just frozen. And they start pulling kids out, and it's a drug bust. And the Lord spoke to my heart for the first time and said, Jeff, this is what I'm saving you from. And he filled me with a peace that I'd never had, and I understood that God loved me as messed up as I was. So I got baptized, and then I walked back into the house again. Nothing had changed there. Brawls and fights, and my anger would come back, and my resentment and my bitterness. And then I'd go to youth group, and the pastor would say, Kids, you need to honor and obey your parents. And I'd go, I'm exempt. My parents are no goods. And the pastor would look at me and go, Jeff, it's... It's not about them. It's about you and about what God wants to do in your life. And so I started staying home. And God started orchestrating new notes in my life, notes of forgiveness, notes of compassion, notes of concern. And they saw the difference. And six months later in that same little church, my parents gave their lives to Jesus as well. I then baptized my two older brothers. And so I came to the conclusion, if God can change my life and my family's life, I will serve him for the rest of my life. Which brings us to the next verse that talks about creation and talks about what God's doing in our lives. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. When I look at the word creation and new creation, to me it's about sheet music again. It's all about whoever is in Christ gets a new sheet of music. He gets a new orchestration in his life. He gets a whole new set of of melody and notes and rhythms that he desires 
to create in our lives as well. So after being two years a Christian, I decided to go to San Jose Bible College. And I was a bit rough around the edges still, having only been a Christian two years. Rumor has it that I am the one that the school had to instigate a dress code for. <clears throat> I just didn't look right. I was a pretty scary looking person for those people in those days at a Bible college. But then I heard another set of notes, some amazing notes, the most beautiful notes I'd ever heard from this young lady on the third row here. And you talk about orchestration, you talk about how God works. I'd grown up outside of the church. I'd grown up not understanding a lot about church. Kathy grew up in the church. So God knows how to put that balance in our lives, knows how to orchestrate in our lives. And so we got married between our junior and senior year. And towards the senior year, we, we needed to decide what we were going to do with our lives. We thought about the Shiloh ministry in New York, teaching kids how to read. But Kathy came in one day and said, Jeff, the wife of the president of the college just came up to me and said, we've been in Chile. And we think God can use you there. And I began to drag my feet immediately. I began to say, but isn't Chile where Pinochet is? Dictator, martial law, killing people? And she looked at me and she said, but Jeff, I know about your calling. So I made this dangerous statement. I said, if God opens the doors, we'll go. Very dangerous. <laughs> Three months later, the day after our first wedding anniversary, we headed off for Chile with a whopping $300 a month pledged and a one-way ticket. We have now been there 40 years with four children that were born there and eight grandchildren. So we see how God orchestrated these things. And so I began to catch on a little bit about orchestration in my life, dark, dark life, hatred, abuse in my childhood, then going into a dictatorship where we literally, people disappeared. There were thousands of people put into stadiums and executed. And this was our atmosphere for 13 years. It wasn't all bad. Most of the time it was great. But you didn't want them to get mad. But we saw how God orchestrated us. And again, it's so funny. All my kids are musicians, like I said. I have zero talent. I have two left feet. Most of the time I can clap along if somebody starts. And so I'm watching this orchestration, and all of a sudden, we're starting to see churches planted. And God gives us an invitation to go into Ecuador. And so we go up there. We take a team of 42 Chileans, and we meet with a team called Christ and Youth from the United States, from Joplin, Missouri, with 20 kids. And we hadn't planned real well. We rented one house with two bathrooms for 60 people. So that was a real cultural experience. <laughs> so as we're there, we also didn't know it was the week of the patron saint, Santa Ana, in San Borondon, where we were. And 
In the evenings, they would get this live band going, orchestration, loved that part, got the statue of Santa Ana, put it on their shoulders, and would start parading through the town, but they were drunk out of their minds and had guns and were firing in the air. And my immediate response was, we're going to die. So we round up all the kids and drag them into the house. We're going, Lord, what is this? This is what you brought us to? Because we learned this other thing of physics. What goes up comes down. And these tin roofs, you can just hear the bullets hitting the roof. And I go, hmm, not what I had planned. But then we figured something out as well. Every night, the, people, the adults were just drunk out of their minds. And so in the day, they slept. So we just loved on all these kids in Ecuador. And we would do puppets, and we would do mimes, and we'd do street concerts. And as a result, churches were planted. And there's a school up in this area. And so we saw how God orchestrated something completely new. And we would go up, back and forth, and back and forth. Until one day, we tried, we'd always fly over Peru because of the Shining Path. That was a terrorist group that would just kill entire villages or stop buses and shoot everyone. So I was clear that we didn't want to go there until one, several trips, we got stuck there every time. And we would have to go in to that city. And I finally understood, I'm going to get stuck in Peru every time until I obey. And so we took a team up there. And, and I not everybody was convinced. I mean, this is, Peru has the driest desert in the world. This is not the kind of place you want to hang out. And we would gone to a plaza, and I was on my knees behind the truck, and I said, Lord, people are not thinking that you gave this idea to me. And so I'm going to preach. And if people don't come forward, you're going to look bad. So, your reputation could be damaged. <laughs> so, I give my testimony, I preach the kingdom of God, and about half of the plaza comes forward. And I see how God is orchestrating something in another one of these cities. Three churches have been planted, a clinic is in that area now. And I just thought I figured out God. I said, I get this. We're going to go to every Latin American country and do this over and over. Until the year 2000, I find myself in, in Africa, in Morocco, 99% Muslim. And I'm going, Lord, what are you orchestrating in this area? Because, again, it's amazing. It's the king's birthday, and we're in this plaza, and there are all kinds of live bands playing. And it was dark, so all the women under Islamic culture were in their homes. So I'm watching 2,000 men dancing together with live music, and I went, this is different. But as I was watching these people, the Lord spoke to my heart again and said, Jeff, none of these people know the Lamb of God. None of them know my son. And it broke my heart, and I began to weep watching these people. But then I also heard from other workers how God was using Latinos 
to reach Muslims because culturally they're better than white people. Latinos are not the great Satan like the United States. They live in community. They don't have problems men holding hands with one another like white people do. And I began to see how God was using possibly new things that we had not considered. A few months later, we were in, Kathy and I were in Europe, and, and we're at this conference, five days just talking about Muslims, and I was saturated to the max. I'd had enough. And there was a break, and we're heading out, and, and somebody grabs me by the arm and said, Jeff, are you going to the meeting about Iraq? And I went, no. Not on my agenda. I don't even think I'm invited. I'm a visitor. He said, Jeff, we know why you're here. We're ta you're talking about mo mobilizing Latinos into unreached countries. And so I look at Kathy, and she goes, let's go. She's always way ahead of me. Keeps me humble. And so we go there, and they go, the door, this is 2003, August 2003, the year of the war. And they're going, the doors are open. Anybody can go into Iraq. You don't need a visa. You don't need anything. And we need people willing to fill the gap for six months. And I hear the Lord say to me, if you're going to mobilize young Latinos into Iraq, you have to be willing to take your family first. So I look at my wife, and she goes, bags are packed. And so we hear a whole new orchestration. And my life and our lives are submitted to the Chilean church, so we went back to Chile, asked them what they thought, they prayed about it, and they said, this is of the Lord. And preach it and invite others to go. So after two Sundays, we had 12 people that wanted to go into Iraq. So in November of 2003, we took a spiral descent into northern Iraq in a small plane to avoid missiles. And my response was, we're going to die. <clears throat> but it landed, and I kissed the ground, and then took the, took the passports, collected them all, and went to the international office. This is the international office in northern Iraq. It's a container with a hole cut in it, with a, like a blowtorch. And I hand them in. I said, just love to get a little welcome stamp on this. Not to worry, my friend. You are welcome here. And I go, oh, but wouldn't it be nice to have a stamp? Could you do that for us? Welcome, my brother. And handed him back, and I went, oh. I really wanted to be legal in Iraq. But we move into this house, all 12 of us, and we were doing this on a Latino budget. Um, it was a big house, cost $1,200 a month. And for Latinos, they were going, that's a lot of money. I go, not one or 12 of us. It was $100 a month. So that works. And we just started inviting people in. And one of the first person that, that we met and made friends with had been tra trained under Al-Qaeda. This guy was angry and dark. But through the love of Jesus, he was the first one that gave his life to Jesus. And he would just worry about us because we had an open-door policy. Our living room was big, and there would be tons of people in there. And he would come in and do one of these once-overs, you know, and kind of see his eyes go. 
And after he left, because I am not good in languages, he'd grab an interpreter so I would really understand and say, Jeff, do you know who's in your house? And I'd go, friends? Do you know who they are? No. They are fundamentalists, and they want to kill you. And I go, how do I know that? He goes, you know, it only takes one bad Muslim. Most of us are good. It only takes one to kill you. And I go, don't worry, we have, we have guards. And he goes, I've been here. Where are your guards? We have so many guards. Where are they? They're angels. Oh, my God. <laughs> and his answer, you are going to die. <laughs> Confirmation. It's kind of a theme through my life. But there is, a, there is a women's center there now that's reaching out to thousands of people. We have been there since 2003. No one has died. Uh, we are now working with all the ISIS refugees that are flowing into our city. Desperate needs. And we are meeting those needs because we are showing the love of Jesus. Which brought me to this conclusion. As I, as I read this verse in John, because people have an opinion about Kathy and I, John 5.44 says, How can you believe, since you accept glory or praise from one another, but you do not seek the glory or the praise that comes from the only God? And so I was looking at this verse and I said, So God praises man? Jesus can praise people? And so I started reading through the New Testament. He does. Remember this line? Never have I seen such faith in all of Israel. And he points out a person. And so I came to this conclusion, because people come up and say, oh, you are so brave. And I go, I really don't want to be known as brave. Extreme, extreme sports people are brave. Kind of dumb. Jumping. 300 cars in a, on a motorcycle and making it 299. So I go, I don't want to be known for that. I want to be known as faithful. I want to be known as obedient. Because that is what God seeks from us. That we be faithful and that we be obedient. And so as a result, we are now in Sierra Leone. We have built 150 wells for those people. It's a whole different aspect there. There are opportunities like we've never been, been in other closed countries. One village of 1,000 people, over 100 of them, all Muslims, have come to Christ. And so I see how God is orchestrating in such an amazing way things that I would have never asked for, things that I would never have imagined possible through the power of Christ Jesus. We're going to listen to one more song. And I'd like you to close your eyes and try to imagine what I'm going to read at this time. Revelation 7-9 says, After this, I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language.
standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is how I see the final, final days of our existence on earth and then into eternity. I see Jesus Christ standing before the tribes, before the throne, and there is every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnic group standing before the throne. And Jesus will raise his hands as the great conductor and worship will begin. And every possible person, so large that it cannot be counted, will worship the Lamb of God for the glory of the Father. This is what God is orchestrating from before the beginning of creation until now. Church will end someday. Missions will end someday. But worship of our Creator and the Lamb of God will go on for eternity. God is orchestrating these things. Every note, every rhythm that you have experienced, God desires to use for his glory. Let's pray.